Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. This is Michael Krasny. Coming up on Forum, we'll talk with the presidents of California's two largest teachers' unions about school reopenings amid a dramatic surge in coronavirus cases. Then at 940, we'll be talking with Alameda County's top health officer, Nicholas Moss, about the announcement that Bay Area counties will be under a stay-at-home order set to last through January 4th. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Teachers unions have emerged as one of the most powerful voices in the debate over whether and when to reopen schools during the pandemic. Union leaders have argued that a rush to reopen would endanger the health and safety of teachers, but the stance has frustrated some parents and public officials as data mounts on the toll of remote learning on kids' physical and mental health. Joining us now to talk about what the recent surge in COVID-19 cases may mean for reopening Bay Area schools and the role of teachers' unions in California is California Teacher Association President E. Toby Boyd and Jeff Freitas, who is president of the California Federation of Teachers. And welcome to both of you. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having Good morning. And uh, let's begin, if I may, Toby Boyd, with you. And it's certainly been the position of the unions uh, want to talk about now that we're in a new surge upon a surge, as Dr. Fauci puts it, but taking the position that health and safety of teachers has been a priority. And uh, there's been a lot of disagreement, obviously, on what's safe. And the opinions have been deeply divided, not only between parents and teachers, but also staff. What's not uh, divided in terms of opinions is the toll of remote learning on physical and mental health. The evidence has been mounting. So let me ask you, Toby, right away here, what you say to those who have been very frustrated over the power of the unions to keep classrooms closed, especially when, for example, they've been open in Europe? Well, I, the first thing I would say is that our educators within the California Teachers Association, I can confidently say with um, CFA, we want to be back in our classrooms because we miss our students. We know that is the best learning uh, environment for our students. However, you know, since the schools closed back in the spring, our primary guiding principle has been the safety for our educators and our students. So, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that it was just for the educators, and I would say no. We are concerned about our students' safety and their families and the communities in which they live in. So, I mean, that's our main concern. And yes, we would like to be back in front of our classes, but we can only do so when it's safe. 
And how do you determine when that is the case? I mean, now we're in a new surge, so uh, in many respects, this is uh, a, a time that's quite fraught, to put it mildly. But nevertheless, you have a lot of mounting evidence, as I said earlier, that kids don't transmit as much, particularly you're a kindergarten teacher. When you go into the lower grades, the elementary schools, for example, there's a good deal of concern about the lack of transmission and the possibility that, uh, well, kids are not to be worried about as much as, say, those of an older age. So I know you're concerned about parents as well and transmission on that level, but the evidence seems to be mounting, as I said earlier, and we hear this from Erica Pond, the health director. We hear this also from um, the head of HHS in California, Mark uh, Galley, that uh, schools should be should have been reopening. Uh, yeah, and again, I agree with you. Schools should be open, but only when it's safe. We have to make sure that you know, we, we have to trace, we have to make sure that the tests are there for our students. Yes, the incidence of infection may be lower, but I'm sorry to beg, and, and I tell you that one infectious outbreak and one death of any child would be too much, and especially on my watch. So I wanna look out, and, and, and if I'm error to be too conservative, then I would, that's, I'll, I'll admit it, but it's the safety of everyone that's involved in the educational system that I'm worried about. And I'm not willing to sacrifice one child, one adult, or one family just to prove everyone wrong. Well, certainly, let me go to you, Jeff Freitas. Uh, there's no arguing with the fact that uh, those in positions of power like you and Toby Boyd really want the schools to be reopened. I understand that many people do, uh, and we don't want to get into the politics of this. It's no gain for the unions to say uh, do remote learning or don't do remote learning. In fact, doing remote learning might be a real deficit for the unions. But there's really no real threshold about when to open up and when to return, no clear direction from the state. Is that the problem that local control is not working here? Well, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about this, and, and you're absolutely right when you say there is, there is no gain here for anybody. There's no gain here for the students, for the faculty, for the classified, for the unions, or anything. We're trying. It, this is a war against an invisible virus uh, that we're fighting, and that and that's the situation we're in. Um, the I, we would have to. You've, you earlier compared us to to European countries. We have. Our national administration has failed to lead us in this during this crisis, and that's why you're finding us having to scramble and figure out how to reopen schools. Uh, AFT as well as CFT put out a plan in May and June to uh, do a five-point pillar on how to reopen our schools. Um, we've we've shared this with the governor. The governor has used many points of this. Um, the first is we got to get COVID down. Obviously. Uh, we put this back out in May and June. We never imagined that now we have the number of COVID. It's twice as yesterday. The number of new COVID cases was twice as high as any high point during the summer. That's something to know about in California. Uh, the numbers are absolutely going up. The numbers um, are very scary. But down. let me just get back yeah. to the question I asked. Uh, okay, I mean, go ahead. Should, should, should the governor uh, <laughs> be providing more leadership here? You talk about the national level, but rather than letting the local decisions be made locally. Well, um, we have actually we have pushed the governor to do a, a statewide decision on all schools at the same time. He feels that this needs to be regionalized because the, the COVID numbers are regional until recently. Um, and that's where the colors come in. 
Um, we have pushed the governor to have more of a, a, a statewide uh, decision on shutdown. Um, we also uh, said that we needed more testing. He's trying to provide that testing. He's trying to provide that at a statewide level. Um, we need definitely PPE. We need decision-making um, at the local level and what occurs, because there are some, some uh, educators that, that want to voluntarily be in the classroom with the safe protocols uh, that are there, and we need funding. And that's one of the things that the state has failed us. They relied on the federal government to provide us funding. That failed, and, and we do not have the funding. They have the extra nurses, the extra counselors, the extra PPE, the smaller class sizes, the extra testing, all of that and the ventilation, all of that is being failed because we didn't get the funding that we needed to begin with. It would not have made any difference, but the defeat of Proposition 15 was certainly disappointing. It wouldn't have made any difference now, but it was six and a half to $11 billion that would have gone into education. And there was also a $15 billion state bond uh, for construction that went down in the March primary. Uh, but nevertheless, there's been support for a lot of local measures around the state. And I know you need more revenue, particularly for PPE, and you need more revenue to get the schools ventilated. There are serious problems there and serious problems all around that require more funding, but let me go back, if I may, uh, to mm -hmm. you, Toby Boyd, on this. There's also a problem with lack of data. Uh, Senator Steve Glazer, for example, of Orinda, calls California a data desert. He says the government isn't providing the, de the data that's necessary or the transparency for the schools. Is that a fair criticism? I, I would say that, you know, um, the transparency of the data is is important because without it, we can't we can't really determine if our schools are safe, where the infectious outbreaks are, when it occurs, is everyone being noticed? So I would say, yes, we, we do have a problem with the transparency of data. California, I believe, is only one of 11 states that doesn't publish information on the virus of, uh, in the schools. Cleveland, excuse me, California Health Department uh, really doesn't give information on transmission rates either. So data is a big element of this, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is very important. And, and again, because it's not there, it needs to be changed because the informed public, the informed communities can make the necessary changes. If the governor wants it to be um, local controlled through the health departments that are in, are in the counties, then we need to make sure that we have the data in order to support all the things that need to happen in the, in the particular counties. And let me go back, Jeff Freitas, to you. Uh, there, there certainly needs to be more data, but also, uh, and more revenue, as we've been saying, saying, but widespread testing and contact tracing as well. There hasn't been a whole lot of contract tra contact tracing in terms of what's needed. Uh, and you need the state standards to be provided in terms of some guidelines here that are really clear, don't we? You're absolutely correct. Um, and we haven't seen the tracing nor the reporting of the, of, uh, the positive cases, as well as the testing, and, and again, that's going back to the, the five the five pillars that we said need to occur before we reopen schools. And all of this is about um, being able to provide a safe environment for our schools, and, and that's why um, uh, we've been in the position we have been. Um, you know, we have situations where um, the the it was an early childhood uh, facility um, where the administrators were aware of a of a teacher. Um, an educator that was positive and didn't tell any of the parents for, for two weeks. And there's a lack of transparency there, um, both at the administrative level as well as the data gathering at the state level. But as I said earlier, there's no division over the kind of harm that's being done, both physically and mentally, keeping kids out of uh, school, not only harm to them, but harm to their parents. You know, I was reading about uh, 
parents who had to have their 10-year-old kid responsible for remote learning with uh, younger siblings because they had to go to work. I mean, there are all those kinds of stories, and there are horror stories, particularly with respect to people of lower income brackets and people who are in underserved communities. Just wondering what your thoughts are, particularly in light of the fact that recently uh, San Francisco Chronicle had an editorial, they called this an unprecedented crisis uh, with respect to the effect of an inexplicable uh, development crisis in terms of the uh, abandonment of school children. They use that kind of phrasing. Abandonment of school children sounds, you know, particularly harsh to some people's uh, minds, but to some extent, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Uh, we are very, we're, we're very much aware and trying to work with um, the, the socio-emotional uh, development of the students and the care of the students. Um, but we, what we need are more instructors, more counselors um, to be hired, to be able to add on to the academic part of it. Um, many of the responsibilities of the teachers are the academic side of it. And yes, we are, are trying to focus, you know, the governor tried to provide and we work with uh, various school districts on small cohorts, bringing these kids in, in a very safe and uh, isolated situation. Um, you know, the school districts uh, have an opportunity when it is safe um, to bring in uh, um, and have waivers um, in these particular situations when we can do the testing and tracing properly to be able to uh, resolve that issue. But we're very much aware in the community at large as well as the, the education community on these issues around uh, the uh, social and emotional. Well, we'll um, talk about this some more. The private schools are staying open, uh, and some say that's because they don't have to deal with the unions. I don't want to be provocative in that statement, but that's what is being said by some. And we've also got these splits between the rural areas where uh, COVID is, uh, shall we say, far less of a concern and the stools can stay open. I'm going to invite our listeners to join us, and I'll do that as soon as we come back in about 60 seconds. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about, uh, well, when schools should reopen. We're in a surge now, and of course... It's very fraught, but there have been learning losses and, in fact, uh, permanent deficits, uh, according to, to many. Uh, JAMA had an article, the Journal of American, Medicine, American Medical Association, talking about lifespans actually being affected in children. And distance learning is certainly inadequate, uh, as many can attest to at this point. You've got third graders uh, who have to learn particularly about reading. It's vital for them. Uh, it's part of academic success. And the frustration here is of... Uh, many who are simply not uh, feeling that the schools are reopening when they should. But we're talking to Toby Boyd and Jeff Freitas, who lead the two biggest unions in California and who say they want, above all, to be safe. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. And if you want to weigh in here or if you have questions, you can join us now and give us a call at our toll-free number, the number to call 866-733-6786. Please feel free to be part of the program with your questions or comments. And join us, toll-free, 866-733-6786. You can also, of course, get in, get, of course, get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. And 
Toby Boyd, if I can go back to you, Oakland is choosing to not go back until the city is at orange instead of red like other cities. Why? Uh... Well, uh, can I, I, I need to go back just a little bit because I just spoke about the social emotional part and also about you asked a question about private schools. First off, for the social emotional part, our educators have been doing everything they possibly could. You know, they, they served food, they delivered devices, they've made extended hours for their students. So it, it's, we're giving our students everything we possibly can via this method of, of teaching right now. Distance learning, as we stated before, it's not the ideal situation for our students. We wanna be in the classroom and, and that's what we're pushing for but it has to be done safely. Now, as to the private schools, I can tell you the reasons, or part of the reasons behind it is that one, they have the funding. Two, their classes are normally smaller than those in the public schools. So you add those two together and they are able to bring back more students. They are able to open up. They are able to provide the PPE and the social distancing along with the ventilations, everything that we are unable to do in the public schools because we don't have the funding. Yeah, that's so, Jeff Freitas, president of the California Federation of Teachers. Uh, Toby Boyd, I want to go back to you, though, with a question I asked before because uh, Oakland is with CTA. Uh, it's choosing to not go back until the city is at orange instead of red like other cities. Do you know why? because they feel that orange is the best place for our students and for communities and the educators. It's, it's not as, um, the, the virus is not as uh, transmittable at, in that stage. It is a little more under control and they feel that it's, it's a safer part for everyone involved. And there are other associations doing so, it's just that they're not in the limelight as Oakland is. And Jeff Freitas, uh, here's a listener named uh, Satrin who says, if you're against reopening, then what are you going to do to improve distance learning? This summer, the unions pushed hard for very low minimum standards. My third grader who's been learning, who has learning disabilities, gets maximum two hours of instruction a day, gets no feedback on his work from his teacher and has not read a single chapter book as a class. So uh, thank you for the question. Um, uh, we didn't push for any uh, uh, low standards uh, during the summer. I could say that we, what we pushed for is the tools that the students needed. We needed to ensure that there was uh, bandwidth um, and access to uh, proper technology for all of the students. We were trying to get that out. We also were demanding to get time to be able to train to get professional development. We have teachers that are trained to be in the classroom. They were never trained to be remote learners um, or remote teachers. And, and we were asking um, for that professional development, but in the meantime, there was this fight to push back to reopen schools as quickly as possible, as opposed to focusing on what is the safest way to provide that education. Um, so we, we have been focusing on that. And, and I know um, uh, talking to teachers uh, every day, as well as uh, classified professionals, that they spend hours upon hours to prepare every single lesson to try to provide the best learning environment um, that these students can do. And they're also trying to do it in such a way that it limits liability. Um, as you know, when you have a Zoom and you have the video on, you are in every single student's home at the same time. So they are trying to balance what is um, 
and limiting that invasion in those homes, as well as trying to provide that education at the same time. Um, where when you're in a classroom, you, everyone's just in that same space in that same environment, which is the pro problem with this pandemic, because that is how it spreads. Jeff Freitas is president of the California Federation of Teachers. And let me bring a caller on. Nita joins us. Nita is from Oakland. Good morning. Hi. Um, I just, I wanted to respond to something that you guys said earlier. You said that um, something about abandonment of students. And I just want to say that I have a second grader in Oakland schools. I also have an incoming kindergartner ne next year. I, I do want to say that um, we are very grateful to the teachers. I know it's very difficult for teachers to have to pivot to distance learning, and it's not how they were trained. And I think some teachers are having a more difficult time than others. And I, I don't think that teachers are necessarily abandoning students. If anything, I get the sense that union leadership and district leadership are abandoning students in this sort of adversarial um, negotiation of how to reopen schools and in that adversarial sort of all or nothing how to reopen schools that is what's abandoning students and having them left behind with dealing with mental health issues um, learning loss dealing with unreported abuse uh, my i certainly my daughter has learning loss in second grade, that's a lot because it's learning how to read, adding and subtracting. And so I really hope that union leadership, Toby and Jeff, that I know you want to keep your union membership safe. Um, but just know that I know that there are teachers in our communities that want to go back and there are students that want to go back. And I really hope the conversation pivots from an adversarial district versus union to how can we creatively like figure out solutions maybe not to get the students back in the classroom but in-person learning whether it's outdoor teaching or other creative solutions to help mitigate these effects on students that we're seeing now so that we really can talk about student safety. Nita, I thank you for the call, and uh, I don't know if either Jeff or Toby wants to respond to Nita's call. I mean, she's calling I, for, calling for something, Toby. I think, in the realm of uh, serious compromise and yes, thoughtfulness. I, yeah. yeah, thank you, Michael. But, Anita, this is Toby Boyd. I, I would say that it's not up to the union leadership to do that. What we have always stood by is that we are worried about the safety of your children, your children. You know, the child that you have in second grade right now, your kindergartner that's going to be coming into the school site, that has been our concern. It's up to the district and the state in order to make sure that we have the necessary funding in order to provide for the PPE, to provide for the, the uh, professional development, to provide for all that's needed in order to make sure your child that's in second grade can learn how to read, can learn how to add and subtract better. That is what we are trying to make sure because if anything, if you would know who I am, I am the last person that thinks adversarial relationships between districts and um, associations is the best way. The only way that we need to make sure that we are working on is making sure that each child is the center of all the decisions that are made. Now, when politics start to play into that, that's where the division comes. So our message has always been when we open in person 
it has to be safe. And I really appreciate the fact that you stated that the educators that you are aware of, they're doing everything they possibly can because that is happening up and down the state. I know in both associations. So it's not the leadership. It's the ability to make sure we have the needed materials and everything else in order to open up and making sure that our teachers and our educators are prepared. And from the pivot that we did in March to the opening, reopening um, and distance learning and, and hybrid models that have occurred since then, we've gotten that development. We've become better. It's not perfect, but that's the, that's the area and the arena that we're in currently. Well, Toby, let me read you and Jeff some responses that are coming in uh, because, frankly, they do sound somewhat er uh, adversarial, but uh, I'd like to hear your reaction. Uh, let me read a couple of these uh, to give you the flavor of what I'm talking about. Doug writes, is the Teachers Association president aware of any student-to-teacher COVID transmission anywhere in the world? I'm not. Another listener, Lauren, says, why does the school union's opinion override the health officer's assessment that schools can reopen? How does their only when it's safe statement override the health officers saying it is safe? And here's Kelly who says, I'm a member of the Oakland Teachers Union. I've been extremely disheartened by my union's hardline stance on COVID, despite our revolving understanding of COVID in schools. The toll I see this taking on students is heartbreaking. Why is it that each California district has to follow its own plan based on the opinions and feelings of a highly powerful and politicized union body? Shouldn't school reopenings be determined with a more consistent rubric by health officials and local leaders? So you get the flavor there. By the way, I'll read some other emails that are defending your position, but that's where the adversarial element comes in, I think. And uh, I know I mixed a number of comments there, but I think I wanted you to get the flavor of what's coming in here. And uh, either of you want to respond, Toby or, or Jeff? Sure, this is Jeff. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for reading those. Um, some of those statements are absolutely not not true. Um, look at Danville just recently, a special ed transition program um, was rocked by a COVID outbreak. Um, transmi transmission between students and adults has occurred. Um, uh, maybe the research is showing it's not as prevalent as the regular population, but it does occur. And transmission within schools does occur. I mean, you can look at outside of the state of California as well. Um, and we are looking at the health and safety of all of these situations. And they talked about reopening schools and, not, and, and, and being more restrictive than the, the guidelines. Over 99% of the state population right now is in purple. And to go back to the orange versus red earlier, the CDC, the, the World Health Organization, as well as uh, Harvard Global, are all saying the safer reopening number is 5%. That's the transition between red and orange, is that 5% number. Purple, red to purple is the 8% number. That is way too high. We've always been saying that we need to be meeting those metrics that the world and the, the uh, national um, experts are saying should be the reopening guidelines. Um, so it kind of answered, I tried to answer a couple of those questions. Well, you did as a good well job at that. Thank previous. you. Uh, I, I just want to also read another email here because the first email said, uh, tell me of a transmission from student to teacher. And as you pointed out, there are incidents of that. As a listener named Joe writes, my niece's daughter, who is in elementary school in North Carolina, recently caught COVID while attending classes. Also, another niece's husband who teaches middle school in Florida is now in the hospital with COVID. They believe he caught it while teaching. I do not believe it is safe to open school. So as I said, we're hearing from both sides here. And uh, let me uh, hear from Karen next, who joins us. Good morning, Karen. 
Uh, good morning. I'm calling. I live in Redding, California, in nor- Northern California. We're in the purple. I have two children. One's in face-to-face instruction five days a week as a seventh grader and the other as a sophomore at Shasta High School. The biggest problems I've seen with uh, my high school students in hybrid, so two days a week, uh, three days a week at home, there's been no disruptions to his schooling this whole time period. So I think that's been very successful. My student that's an element, you know, middle school, there's been a lot of disruptions. And so some of this has to do with people bringing, you know, COVID to the classroom, exposing others, going on quarantine, not having substitutes available. So some of this isn't necessarily you know, just passing COVID from student to student or student to staff, but having to deal with all the disruptions in staffing. And I would really like to see uh, the students stay in class, but I do think the administrators need some support because it's very difficult to keep things going because, you know, students are coming to class with COVID in their families, especially as the community spread in Shasta County has gotten very high. So I'm just curious what type of, um, you know, resources are available to help the schools that are in session stay in session. Karen, thank you for that question. Let me go to you on this, Toby Boyd. I would say that's where the testing would come into place. And if, you know, if an area, because I think they're called regions now, if a region is in purple, then that child or those people in that school site, if they're back in person, should be tested at least once every week. Uh, you know, it could probably be more, but there has to be more consistent testing in order to make sure that the virus isn't in the school site and it's not gonna be transmitted. If it's in the red, then it can be decreased some, orange even more so, and the yellow even more so still. But I think it's, it has to deal with the testing of everyone that's in that school site to make sure that the virus is not there. And that would, that would eliminate the possibility of the stop and start or the yo-yo effect of, of being in school, being out of school if you're in person. And I'm, I'm hoping that the schools up in Reading have actually have all the PPE that's needed in order to mitigate any type of transmission. Toby, let me ask you, though, Alameda and San Francisco counties do have uh, testing. They have PPE in place, uh, no labor agreement. What's the sticking point? Well, working conditions for my members that are part of the union and the district, they need to come together and they need to have those conversations in order to get those memorandums of understanding. So it may having, you know, maybe because of the transparency that's not involved, I'm not sure and I can't speak to um, individual districts. It's just that the associations in the districts, they have to work together in order to come up with, uh, you know, amenable working conditions for the members and making sure that the learning environment for the students are going to be in place. So testing is just one part of the equation that's needed for our, everyone to be safe. That's not going to be the end all. You still have to have the ventilation. You still have to have the protective gear, you still have to have the distancing. Those are all the things that, you know, part of the equation that's needed in order to make sure it's safe. Guinea Toby Boyd is president of the California Teachers Association, the largest 
uh, Teachers Union in California. Jeff Freitas is president of the California Federation of Teachers, not far behind in numbers. Uh, Jeff, we're coming up on a break here, and I just want to ask you uh, if you could quickly respond to a tweet from a listener named Joseph who says, do you support prioritizing K-12 teachers for the COVID-19 vaccine? Yes, um, the, the, uh, we have vaccines coming to California. Um, the first line uh, um, needs to be our medical facilities, our medical workers. Um, that definitely needs to have, be happening. And according to the CDC, the educators are in that, that kind of that second top tier, um, 1B, they call it. Um, and we believe that's the same situation. Um, if you look at the numbers, California is supposed to be getting about 350,000. That's the, the last figure that I saw roughly. Um, but remember that you need two doses um, for a vaccination. So you really cut that in half. So you're, you're looking at about 175,000 people that can be vaccinated in a state that uh, in millions, tens of millions um, uh, looking at that. So we, we definitely uh, want the vaccine. You know, it, if it's offered to me, I'm gonna be taking the vaccine as, as early as I can, but we know we need to prioritize this. Medical workers and, and educators need to be up there as well as some other um, frontline workers. Well, let me extend thanks to both of you for being with us for this uh, first segment of Forum. Jeff Freitaskin is president of the California Federation of Teachers, and E. Toby Boyd is president of the California Teachers Association. Uh, I know it's rough uh, what you're doing, and I don't envy the jobs you have, but uh, thank you for your work, and thank you for being with us on Forum this morning. And we're going to break away briefly, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to actually talk with uh, the head of Alameda's County Health. Today, Alameda goes into lockdown. Stay tuned. That's up ahead. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. 